You know, I, I, if you ask someone, um, when you ask someone who has a family how they're doing, they think about all their kids because it's an extension of who they are. Someone described it like having kids is getting your heart ripped out and then just watching it run around and like <laughs> fall and, and uh, across the street and stuff. It sucks. My, my mom actually worried about me in Europe. Like, I stopped posting on Facebook, and then she got concerned. She called Tiffany Kim over there. And then I was like, I used to be annoyed at stuff like that, and I was like, if Liam went to Europe at 35, I would, i just see his fat cheeks. Like, at 35, I would just be like, he is a baby. Um, some of the things I wear Ingalls Awareness Day in a few, uh, February 14th, um, I, I was the last of my friends to get a girlfriend. And so I worried really strongly about my singleness and being alone for the rest of my life. And we have a, a group of four. So it's me, Caleb, Ernest, and, um, Garland. And we were all really close friends. We did everything together. We always hung out every day in the summer. And freaking two of them had to get girlfriends. I was so mad. And so they started ditching me in Garland. I had to like have a conflict resolution with Caleb because I didn't understand why he couldn't take me to the movies with him and his girlfriend. I didn't get it. And so I was really mad at him. I remember yelling at him in the car. Like, I should be able to go. I I feel like you like her more than me. I was really upset. And then my friend Garland swore an oath with me, which we learned about a a few chapters ago, where he said, I promise... I won't get a girlfriend before you. And I was like, thanks, man. We shook on it. And then about eight months later, he got a girlfriend. <laughs> he sat me down. He's like, I have terrible news. <laughs> I have a girlfriend. And I, I swear I said no, like that really loud, like in a movie where someone's in deep anguish. So they went on triple dates, and I went home. <laughs> True story. I always worry about Renew, our church. I have all these dreams about it. Like, I dreamt last night that I was supposed to come up and preach, but I hadn't finished my sermon, and then someone else was preaching. I was like, did we miss schedule? I didn't know who this person was. I had another dream where me and Ben was leading worship, and I didn't know what songs to play. Uh, I had another dream where I killed Mitchell Liu. That's, he was demonized. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a great story. I'll tell you about that. But then I also had a dream waking up, and, and it was honestly kind of uh, hollowing for me where um, a couple that I really care about at our church just decided to leave, and they were upset with me, and I remember arguing with them. And I just kind of reflected back as I was on vacation about 35 relational transitions uh, for me of people that I cared a lot about over the last four years. And I just realized, man, I really haven't had time to grieve them because we've just been running as a church. And so feeling that anxiety. Um, and lastly, I think about Liam sleeping in a closet. And I'm like, man, one day I want to have a house for, for Liam to sleep in a, in a bed with a room. These are all the things that I worry about. And I'm sure you have a lot of things too. And then verse 25 kind of just punches us in the faith, face. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Thanks, Jesus. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? During this time, this was really potent for the people he was speaking to 
because they struggled every day for food and for water and for shelter. So for some of us, we feel like those are categories we don't really wrestle with. We don't understand. We have enough food in the fridge. But what I think this is saying is if you can really trust Jesus with the most basic necessities of life, you can trust him with your whole life. So when it says, do not worry about your life, it's speaking about every category, but he contextualizes it to the most basic aspects of life, food, water, provision. And it was an even greater challenge for the people he was speaking to than us. Because for us, we, we can broaden that and say, I am worried. And it might not be, again, for food and water, but it's for a relationship. It's for our career. It's for financial stability. And, and it's challenging for us not to worry. But for the people there, most of them were peasants. And they worked the land. They would just get enough to eat day to day. And when they, when they earned a lot of money, the landlord would take most of it away. So they couldn't store. And they were always worried about money. So even though you're working this land, you have this oppressive landowner who would tax you heavily. And after they're done taxing you, um, the government would tax you. They're under the Roman rule. And so the tax collectors would come and take money from you. So at the time, the people were, were fighting to feed their kids, to have enough food uh, on a day-to-day basis. And then when you think about Jerusalem, it was in shambles during this time. Not only if you know, things were going well, would they have enough food for that day or maybe a week, but when things went poorly, it meant that they would have to survive a famine. And hunger was almost a good friend. They would have to survive a plague and see some family members pass away. And just day to day, there was open sewers. It smelled like sweat and feces and rotting bodies because they didn't know how to dispose of their dead. So they, could, they would just roll it into the streets and, and you would just see corpses. And so that's the imagery these first century historians had of this city. It wasn't pretty. It was people struggling to survive. And Jesus had the audacity Almost, it almost feels insensitive for him to say to them, and maybe to a lesser degree to us, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is, life not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. The last thing I want to talk about in this section is the word worry. That's the Greek word for it. I can't pronounce most English words, so I'm not going to try to pronounce that one. But there's a sense of intense concern or anxiety. So it's not saying you shouldn't work. You shouldn't plan for the future. In fact, there's a passage in Proverbs where uh, Solomon is telling this lazy person to look at the ants. He has no commander, overseer, or ruler, but you know he works hard, gathers food. And then he says, how long will you lie there, O sluggard when when will you get up from your sleep a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man so in a lot of proverbs uh, there's this sense of work working and planning for the future saving up money and at the same time so jesus isn't talking about 
just kind of akuna matata, you know, uh, hip, hippie lifestyle, van, hashtag van life. But he's saying that we can be overly anxious. That we, even if we work hard, is our work in our hands? Or is it in the hand of God? Do we have to hold on to it? Or is God holding on to it for us? So what are the things we feel anxious about? What are the things that consume our attention that we're not really trusting the Lord with, that is robbed of peace? That, those are the words associated with worry. Now, the word therefore is really important because as he talks about us not worrying, he justifies it. He justifies it from the previous passage that Mark shared on and also in the passage following. So I am going to go back to Mark's uh, sermon and recap it. I, did, he, I thought he did an amazing job, and I was equally encouraged to hear how much you guys uh, made him feel at home and wanted him to succeed and, and were, was rooting for him. And I, that's going to go such a long way for Mark as a growing uh, preacher and, and pastor. So I told him not to be offended as I recap this sermon. Here's um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. If you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to pull it out. But I'm just going to go ahead again and summarize it in conjunction with why we do not worry. So, oh, and I have three points. I never do that because it feels like preaching from 15 years ago. But point one, our search for a master. And so in this first section, Jesus is talking about not storing up our treasures on earth where it can be destroyed, but storing up our treasures in heaven. And then he says in verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what Jesus is saying is that our treasure and our heart reside in the same space. And the word heart isn't just talking about our emotional facets, but it's speaking about our entire being. If you look at um, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, out of our heart comes everything. Our, it's, it's that inward driver for every behavior, every speech, every action, every emotion. It's, it's the core of us. And at the core of us is something that we treasure. It could be financial security. It could be getting that next career, that guy, that girl, being comfort, comforted, having an ideal family life. There's something that we treasure in our heart, being beautiful or having the attention of that guy or girl. Was it, what is it that our heart treasures? And whatever that is, it informs what we see. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be filled with darkness. So think about your eyes as like this filter in which you walk around the world and you look for ways in which you can gain whatever your heart treasure is. We're inundated with about 5,000 advertisements a day, whether that's Spotify, 30 free minutes. I get really excited when that, anyways. Um, or Google or, you know, I watched, I watched The Voice and now they do like great product placement. It's become more obvious, I feel like, where the contestants are driving up in a Ford. And it's like a 360 angle. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a Ford commercial. I'm watching a Ford commercial. But we get 5,000 ads a day. But we don't see all of them. The ones we do see, the ones that capture our attention and that we linger on, 
are the ones that are pulling on our treasure, on what we care about, are the ones that are offering the things that we desire most in life. So maybe that's a weight loss advertisement. Maybe that's a lottery uh, where our, our futures are secure. Maybe that's someone we follow on Instagram or Facebook or some type of lifestyle. But we are constantly letting things in because our heart desires it. Out of those 5,000 advertisements, we see one or three or four, and those are the things that our heart desires. And when we think about the things that our heart, our eyes are looking for, ultimately, it's looking for a master. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot both serve God and money, but I would just broaden money and say you cannot serve God and anything else, right? Because line one is you can't serve two masters. That's very broad. Jesus uh, narrows it into money, but it's, it's every category. So what are the things, what are the masters that can give us what our heart longs for? Um, if I want financial security, my master would be this, a career that could offer that to me. If my heart longs to be accepted, maybe my eyes are on social media and who likes my posts and how do I get in with this group. If my heart's longing is for a guy or, um, a guy or girl, you know, my eyes are on him. If my heart's longing is for beauty, maybe I'm following the most beautiful people I know and imitating their workout routine and trying to um, do what they're doing. So our heart informs our eyes and our eyes are looking ultimately for a master who can give us what we desire most. And this, this, this next section that we're going toward is a, is a really beautiful, um, comforting piece of passage. But what it's saying is that when you choose Jesus, when you decide that you want Jesus to be your master, you will not worry. Because he's a master who loves you, who is gentle, who cares about your needs. He's like a father. And if you've been Christian long enough or if you've ran after enough things like I have, if you've been addicted to enough sins, you'll know that all these other masters leave you empty. All these other masters leave you ashamed. All these other masters will fail you. Even if it's a person that cares for you, they can't fulfill all of your needs. And then there's Jesus. I wonder, I wonder if you're far enough in your Christian life where you are convinced that there's only Jesus. You know, Peter's watching the crowd dissipate as Jesus gives these harsh teachings about following him. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, will you leave too? And he looks and he says, where will I go? Only you have the words of life. That's a beautiful place to be in your Christian walk where you can say that. You might be disappointed or frustrated with Christ, but you know there's nothing else for you. 
There's nothing else out there that can really give you purpose and hope and love. There's only Jesus. And, and if, I t- if I think about what being Christian means is that. You've chosen Jesus instead of all these other things. But we're always competing, right? Our heart is all, there's always a push or pull. There's always another master promising what we desire faster, easier, um, you know, on Amazon Prime. Will we continue to choose Christ? So what, what are some other masters that you serve? What are some treasures in your heart? And, and I, I think the word master just feels really old and maybe even offensive, but I hope that you can conceptualize it as what is the thing that you've been convinced by where if you give enough of your time and energy and, and life to that it will make you happy? What can you serve that will give you fulfillment in life? And what is it that your heart is really treasuring? Man, I just want this to make sense uh, to you. So bad. Okay, here we go. Um, We're entering into the season of Lent, which is also February 14th. And I would love for our church to walk with, you know, possibly the billion other Christians uh, around the world and do Lent together. What Lent is, is this, it's this 40 days uh, period of time or season where we are, are preparing our hearts to celebrate Good Friday, where Jesus dies uh, on the cross for our behalf. And it's, it's this Wednesday, and in, in kind of church rhythm and history, uh, what we do is we give up something over these 40 days. We let something go. We fast something. And I, when I think about what it means to have two masters, this is an important season because we get to let go of something that is vining for the attention of Christ. So for me, I'm seriously contemplating. I haven't made a commitment yet, but I'll commit on Wednesday uh, as I think about what God wants me to give up. I'm probably going to give up Netflix and uh, gaming. So any type of television and vainglory, my favorite game. It's named very well. Um, but what is it that you can give up in your life that will clear out space, that will empty you out a little bit for the sake of being filled with Jesus? So that whatever, you, whatever that was doing for you, you're asking Jesus to fulfill that in your life. And so as you clear out some, of, some time and space in your life, I also want to invite you as a community to take Jesus in. And so I put it on our Facebook group, and you guys could all join it and um, learn how to do that in the back, where I picked out like a Bible devotional on our Bible app. And it just walks, it's written by N.T. Wright, which is one of the best theologians of our time. He has a daily devotional. And then you're just reading one or two chapters from the book of Matthew from front to back over the next 40 days. And as a family, it would be so cool to do it together, to share our thoughts and to give up different things, but also come together and, and allow Jesus um, to, take, to take space in, in that area. So I wanted to invite you to that. All right. So this next part, as we choose God to be our master, instead of these other things, this is what God is saying about what it means to be under him, to allow him 
to lead us, to serve him instead of these other things. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is, life, is not life more than food and a body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So when we look back at this first section, when we choose God, life under God as our master, we don't need to worry. Why? Because God is the one who takes care of us. Our life is in his hands. He sustains us. He allows us to move forward. And, and Jesus points to a bird and says, every day they keep flying, they keep living, they keep chirping in the morning because God feeds them and you're more valuable than they. In the Jewish culture, the birds were the, most, were the least valuable of animals. If you were one of the poor families in the Jewish uh, community, you would bring birds to the temple for the forgiveness of your sin, and everyone could afford a few, a few birds. And so Jesus is saying, I take care of the birds. How much more would I take care of you? Isn't that so easy to understand? And then he speaks about um, how worrying can't add a single hour to your life. God is the one who determines our last breath. You, you don't get to determine that. So all of our worrying can't even add one hour to our lives. He takes kind of this lesser to greater view. If God's going to take care of birds, of course he's going to take care of his kids. If God's going to take care of the grass, which is so temporary, of course he's going to take care of you, who he's going to have an eternal relationship with. If God is going to clothe a lily, he's going to clothe his children. And I love this last part where it says, um, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? And again, you know, we say that, but we don't mean anything by it. We know we're going to eat something. But we ask a lot of questions with that same angst. When am I going to get married? When will we have our next child? When will I get a promotion? Um, how, what, when will I get into the school I really want to get into? When will I finally have friends that accept me and bring me along? And God's saying, don't worry. For pagans, people who don't know him, run after these things. And it's like this like exhausting sprint from one thing to another and you grab it, and it flees, so you cling to it harder, and it kind of melts away, so you sprint, and it's exhausting. And God's saying, I'm your father. Will you just turn to me for all of those different categories instead of serving these other masters? 
Because life with me, an evidence that you're following me is that you're not consumed with worry and that you don't have your eyes fixated on something else or someone else. They're not the one. You know, whatever we say, this will make us happy, that's our master. If we ever say, if I only had this, I'll be satisfied, I'll have enough, that's, that's really our God. But here, when we turn to God, he's saying, you won't be anxious because I love you, I care about you, I'm your dad. Me and uh, Nina, we took Liam out to Italy and Spain, which he's like a year and three months. So all of our friends think we're crazy. Uh, some of them are applauding and some of them are judging us, uh, rightly so. And, um, but Liam, he had... He didn't have his crib. He didn't have his toys. He wasn't in his own house. And yet, there was absolute peace because he looked up and he saw his mom and his dad. And his whole life, he's learned to trust us. When he's hungry, when he's scared, when he fell, he would run to us because he knows that we care about him and we could give him access to everything. That out of our hand comes food. Out of our hand comes uh, us holding him or us taking him out and playing with him or taking him to bed because he's tired. Is, is all of your life from the hand of God? Do you trust his hand in every category? Your love life, your career, your provision, your purpose. And do you believe that he cares for you like a father? There's this other passage where um, God's, where Jesus is saying, man, like your earthly father, if you asked him for a loaf of bread, would he give you a snake? Of course not. How about your heavenly father? He loves you so much more. If we can just have this really simplistic, I mean, the whole passage is so simple. It doesn't take a lot to understand it. And yet it's this life journey, right? It's like so, it's like he, he breaks it down, birds, lilies, grass, dad. And we struggle our whole life to do this well. But when we do, when he is our master, the worries and the anxieties fade. And we just get to live and enjoy the day. Liam just loved Italy and Spain, right? He wasn't thinking, will I get a next meal? Or like, Am I going to fall off this cliff? No, because mom's going to rescue you while dad's taking photos, you know? Like, (laughs) you're fine. And I wonder if we feel fine because he's our dad. When you're not, when you're caught up in anxiety and worry, it's probably because you're serving another master that you know doesn't really care about you, that you know is just using you, that you know is limited. When we really trust God, you have little faith, I have little faith, but when we have great trust and faith in God, we get to be like Liam. Last section, it says, but seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about self. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When God's our master, it's 
it's, it's two ways, right? He takes care of us, but ultimately we are in service to him. That's what it means for someone to be your employer or your master or your Lord. That's what we say when we say, Jesus, you're my Lord. That means I follow you and I serve you. And so if you're asking whether Jesus is really your master, there's probably two primary questions. The first one is, are we caught up in worry, which we talked about? And the second one is, do we put his priority and his kingdom first? Do we, do we understand what that really looks like? Or, is, or are we the master and is God the servant making sure, you know, we have everything we want? He says, put his kingdom and his righteousness first. Find a way to talk to your friend about how much Jesus cares about them, how real he's been in your life. When you're in business, do it ethically and serve your customers in a way that's honest and genuine. When you have someone hurt you, forgive them. Talk to them. Love them. Don't see them as an enemy. And if they are, love your enemies. Be authentic. And allow all of that to permeate where you work, where you reside in your family and your friendships. That's what it means to put his kingdom first, to build out his reign and rule in our lives. I want us just to take three, four more minutes. And this is my favorite time of service. I know some of you guys think it's me talking, but it's not. I love this part because this is when it's not just a lecture, but it's life, and it's life together. So going back into your, your same groups, share about, uh, share how both statements, seeking his kingdom and not worrying, can be more true in your work, family, and hobbies, and then pray for each other. And when I think about us praying for each other, that I love that, because we're coming to God on behalf of our brother or sister. And we're saying, and, and when we pray, we're asking him to make these words real and transforming so that it's actually different. So that this week, when you're starting to be consumed by worry, you say, but you're my dad. Whatever that looks like for you, like when you pray and when you're asking God to do that in your life, or you were serving this one master and you, and you see it now and you're like, I don't want to serve him anymore. I don't want to serve this anymore. I want to serve the Father. Those are the things that happens when we pray for each other. Real heart change. That's why it's my favorite part of service. All right, I'll close in prayer and I'll give you guys some time. God, we love you and we're... Man, every time I've surrendered my life to you, I've never been disappointed. I've never been, um, I've never been left unfulfilled or alone or um, lost. Those moments where our life is abandoned to you and we're just willing to do anything, go anywhere, that you're our first and our only love. They're the most freeing moments. It's like a kid just playing, trusting that his dad is protecting him and providing. I pray for that over us, Lord.
that we would choose you um, to be our Lord, that you would be our treasure, that you would be everything we see in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've got a few minutes.